You're listening to Paranormal Portal on Revolver Podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Paranormal Portal. I'm your host, Brent Thomas. I am here with you. And not only am I here, but my good friend and co-host, Mr. Don Longbeard is here. How you doing, Don? Uh, I feel a little topless tonight. <laughs> oh, you look lovely. Oh, well, thank you. See your flowing locks. Yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're not really flowing. They're just locks. But... Oh, they're flowing. <laughs> well, good to go, ladies and gentlemen. We had a... Uh, had a little bit of a, a tight wire getting everything uh, underway here, but it looks like everything is good. Thank God. I was about to stroke out, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing new. <laughs> I, know. I know. I think I pulled it all together. I'm just trying to get the screen set up so we're all set for... Uh, for uh, our guest here. And, and I if, finally got in. Oh, God bless you. I'm so glad to hear your voice. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. I don't know what was going wrong. No, no, it's fine. It's perfectly fine. As long as as long as you're here, I, I don't care what happened to get you here. <laughs> I'm just glad you're here, brother. This is a great honor, ladies and gentlemen. We are joined tonight, but of course, by a man that needs no introduction, as he's been uh, a part of uh, the Bigfoot movement for decades uh, and doing research and stuff. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. James Bobo Faye to the show. Um, so you, you've been you've been around this for decades, though. Um, yeah, I mean, you've been all over the world researching the Bigfoot phenomena, and uh, uh, you know, I, a lot of people think, well, you were just part of finding Bigfoot, but you were you were doing shows before that as well. Yeah, actually, I think my first uh, national thing for finding uh, for Bigfoot was in 1991 when I was in uh, college. I hooked up with these old Bigfoot researcher guys. No one really knows who they are anymore, but they were around in the fifties and sixties uh-huh. and I hooked up with them back in like the late eighties and they, they definitely knew their stuff. And anyways, I was on a NBC national news with those guys and that was almost 30 years ago. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I guess it, it, with, with the stories like this, and I'm sure you've told it about a million times. So forgive me for going over the same road you've been down before, but I just got to know, how did this all start for you? Where did you get into this groove of, of Bigfoot and, and, uh, deciding to dedicate your life to this, to this research? It was pretty unlikely. I was a total city guy living down in Southern California. Mm-hmm. My dad took us out to the woods a lot. Like we we camped a lot, went up in the mountains and deserts, but um, I was like a surfer skate kid from down on the down on the on the coast. Uh-huh. But I just saw the Patterson Goodman film when I was about five and just got totally hooked on it. 
That yeah, that thing is just crazy. Um, that, I think that was my my first exposure personally to Bigfoot. I think was on uh, in search of with Leonard Nimoy, and I think they played yeah. that clip on there, and it was like wow. Uh, I I didn't know what to do with it, you know. But I was I was pretty little. Um, but and, and you know, and co- quite honestly, one of the things that shocked me in in learning about this stuff was that. It's not just in the Pacific you know, uh, Northwest. It's not just there because that's where Leonard Nimoy said it was. And uh, right. <laughs> and then I start to find out that they're everywhere. And, and it's, it, it really boggles my mind that these beings, for I, I don't want to say creatures. I don't want to say, you know, whatever. I like to say beings because I think they're smart. I think they're like uh, nearly us smarter in our neighborhood, but they have to be the most adaptable species on the planet Earth um, because they're found in every ecosystem, in every part, uh, every terrain, uh, you know, you name it. And they're not only surviving, but they seem to be thriving. Yeah, rats, humans, cockroaches, and sasquatches are pretty adaptable. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd put us there other than the fact that we can we can create our comfort everywhere. But these other right. things, these other things actually do uh, manage to make it work. So, um, okay, so you, I know I saw you on a on a show uh, long before Finding Bigfoot came along, um, and you had just mentioned it before I had unmuted the audio so everyone else could hear. But uh, what what other shows did you do? <clears throat> um, I did a PBS show with a guy. What was his name? Scott Hastings, I think he shot the climate video. Oh, okay. Um, did that, and then I did a world scariest destination or ten top ten scariest places in North America on Travel Channel. I think it was. Uh-huh. I did Bigfoot Pacific Northwest. Um, did some uh, Outdoor Life Network with the mysterious. Uh, yeah, that was mysterious encounters. Okay. That was Doug Highcheck from Monster Quest. That was his show previous to Monster Quest. And I think that's and where I, I caught you uh, initially. Was on there. But anyway, continue. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no. Just uh, just like, I can't remember them all now, but just like one-offs, you know, like just, it was some show just doing a thing on Bigfoot, and they'd call me. Mm-hmm. So was it a big, uh, uh, just a luck of the draw that you somehow ended up on the in the middle of this incredible series that uh, had seasons and seasons and uh, got to travel the world? Or is there a lot that goes into that? Well, I definitely had done my homework and, you know, put in my time in the, on the subject, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely luck, uh, lucky to get involved with that. Um, yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of all fell in, into our laps. I was, I just got a, I just got through to get my certification to be an electrician. You know, I took all the classes to be sure. contractor and uh-huh. all that. I was going to take a job at the mill, the lumber mill right next to where I live and be one of the electricians. And they're like, Cause I had TV people calling me all the time saying, Hey, we got to do a show. We got to do a show at the end. <laughs> they always tried to just rip you off. You know, it was always just BS. Like it was like a MTV two wanted me to do a show back in like God, 2000, somewhere around there, 2002. Uh-huh. But it was like, I was going to be the host producer, writer, um, do everything. And I think at the end of the year, I would have made 14 grand for working all year. Wow. <laughs> and you didn't take <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> Wow, that's not even worth uh, you know getting out of bed for, huh? No. Well, I mean, it's, it's still be doing what I wanted to do and getting paid to do what I love, which I would have done. Mm-hmm. Except for the fact that they were all making so much money back then, especially on TV, that it's like, man, I'm not going to get ripped off. There's a lot of. Oh, you guys are. All... Sorry, go ahead. No, just while those guys are getting fat and I'm starving, I was like, fuck that. I mean, screw that. <laughs> That's all right. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think that the, there seems to be a lot of that going on out there. I mean, I don't I don't pretend to know too much about that. I've heard I've heard other people that are in the business talk about that and uh, how you've got to be real careful because there are so many people that are trying to rip you off and and uh, you know you take away your rights to you know whatever it is. But I, I got to tell you that um, I think you know I know there was a lot of people doing Bigfoot stuff through the years, but I really think. That your show, the Finding Bigfoot show, was probably the one show that really made Bigfoot a part of our national uh, uh, discussion. Like having it out there, and I think that people were surprised 
at how many people enjoyed the show because I don't know if you guys knew up front how well it would do, but it's just like, you know, seeing you guys traveling around, seeing you at these town halls all over the place and people coming out of the woodwork with these experiences and stuff. And, and it's, was that a pretty sobering experience to see that there were so many people out there that were interested in this, in this uh, phenomena? No, I, I knew it was there. Like I, I knew forever that if there was a Bigfoot show, it'd be a hit no matter what, just because Bigfoot's popular. Yeah. And they always did well. Like whenever, even those one-offs, the Bigfoot's always scored really high. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of wondering what took them so long to get it really going. Sure. Well, I think it was probably, probably had to, you know, find the right chemistry too. And you guys definitely had that. Uh, it's, it must've been pretty interesting, but I got to ask you this question because this one I've always been dying for. What's it like to go through thick brush with about 80 pounds of cameras pointing at your face and stuff? <laughs> Dude, it sucks so bad. I hate those things. The, the, it's the arm hanging off yeah. with the light and the camera at the end of it. Like it just, Every bush you're pushing through catches on that, then lets go and smacks you in the face, you know, as you go through. Or they're always getting knocked around or they're in your way when you're trying to therm. And yeah. I just can't stand it. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I never, I'm sure someday I'll have to put one on again, but I sure hope not. <laughs> I always wondered because when I was watching the show, I mean, it was, it was fine to see you guys, but it was like so much of the show would be like you guys making faces. And I'm like, what are you looking at? What do you see? What are you hearing? <laughs> Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. And then they'd, they'd, they'd play some stupid, like, spooky music over, yeah. like, the sounds we're listening to. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did you guys have any control of the editing, or was that all out of your game? No, just, just through total complaining. <laughs> <laughs> and how many seasons did that go for? They said 10, but it was probably really, like, eight or nine, because the last couple of seasons were, like, four and six or something, whereas earlier seasons had been, like, 14. Right. Episodes. Yeah. I noticed that trend is happening more and more where they're calling it a season, but it's like, God, I remember when I was a kid, seasons took like all the way from fall until the late spring. And, and yeah. Now, now it's like a weekend is a season on TV. Yeah. It's because the, they're so afraid to commit any resources long term. Like, like before they'd order like, you know, two years worth of episodes. And now, like, you, you'll get an ep- uh, order for four to six. Like, that's, the last few years we were working, like that's what we got orders on was usually like just a half dozen or something at a time because mm. they just do not want to commit to anything because the money's so tight. I mean, say like a, just for instance, this was an art show, but just a TV show in two th- the year 2000, mm. say it was $100,000 for a 30-second commercial. When we started finding Bigfoot in 2010, it was down to like 40000 Now it's down to about probably 15,000. That's how much revenues dropped. Like as streaming gets more and more popular. Yeah. Yeah. The, the budgets for television just shrink and shrink and shrink. Right. Wow. That's huge. I, I didn't realize it was so huge, but yeah, and even like Netflix and um, Amazon, like they were making just hand over fist. They, you know, were just throwing money out, like giving out huge contracts for this and that and that. And it's even hitting those guys. Wow. Because of uh, like YouTube and people just streaming their own things, do you think, or it's, it's just, yeah, boot, bootleg piracy and uh, just people resharing and stuff like reposting stuff, links. Oh, that hurts, huh? I mean, I get it, but yeah, it's like you gotta someone's got to pay somewhere down the line, or nothing's gonna get made. Right, right. And and now that it's in it's in syndication still, right? I mean, there's there's still um, times where you'll catch Finding Bigfoot on Animal Planet or other other channels as well, right? Oh, it still airs on Animal Planet, Discovery, Destination America, and Travel Channel. Then all those channels, international channels, also. Hmm. Like we're still first run in a lot of places. Oh, I can believe like they haven't even, they haven't gone through all the episodes yet. Oh, really? Yeah, like like over in parts like East Europe and Africa. Do you guys ever go over there to do promotionals for that at all, or do, do they not do that anymore? No, they don't do that. Yeah, I mean, like I was saying, if this was in the 80s or the 90s, we would have for <laughs> yeah. sure. But yeah. in the 2000s, things have just changed more and more and more. So like, there's less and less of that stuff. Wow. So before you got on the, on the Finding Bigfoot, I know you and Cliff had already been friends for quite a while before that. Um but did you already know like Matt and Renee and, and the other people involved or is this all new? 
I first, I was in touch with Matt a little bit on and off over the years from about 98. And he just, you know, farmed me out to someone else that was in the group, the BFRO back then. And then I didn't meet him in person until we were filming Mysterious Encounters. And they hired me to be, I was just like the local unit producer, like local producer, like fixer guy. That's Mm -hmm. I was doing gigs like that for uh, TV shows up here that would come up just for whatever thing. But many of they wanted to film Bigfoot stuff because I was the only guy that knew where the Patterson Goodwin film site was and how to get in there. Oh, cool. So I, I'd get hired for that. And they'd, I'd hang out like we'd be hanging out. And they'd always be like, dude, you got to be in front of the camera. I'm like, no, nah, I'm cool. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, it's just a little job on the side. And then they kept trying to get me to do stuff, getting to do stuff. And then I just did a few one offs and then. Nothing came together until finally finding Bigfoot, like where it was, you know, like it was people I knew already. And it seemed like, you know, like, which would be pretty legit for the most part. Mm-hmm. And that was, was that really built around the BFRO as kind of the, kind of the foundation for that? Or was that just uh, incidental? Uh, it was, it was the way they, they found me. Well, they knew about me because I had just done the show with Bob. Oh yeah, I did that strange. I don't know if you saw that Bob Saget show. No, I Strange never... days. Uh-uh. That was pretty funny. Yeah, actually, that's what really pop, got it popping was I had four show offers up to that from four different networks. And uh, Discovery had already started working with Ping Pong Productions, which was Josh Gates's oh, sure. company that he was working for. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, they'd already had the ball rolling with that whole thing. And they, they were looking at act. They had tried, they'd already made, a, I guess, a couple pilots with actors because. Josh Gates was an actor. He wasn't like an explorer or nothing like that. Sure. So they tried They tried to do the same route like they did with Josh Gates for our show, and it just didn't work at all because they didn't know anything about Bigfoot. Like, it wasn't natural. <laughs> they gave him, like, you know, it was like writers that didn't know anything about Bigfoot, writing dialogue for actors that didn't know anything about Bigfoot. So if you knew anything about Bigfoot, it just sounded totally wrong. Or if you didn't know, it sounded wrong. So they wanted to get real people, and they got a hold of me, and then – I told him about Clip. They said, yeah, we know about Clip. We saw him on his YouTube thing. And then I told him about Matt. And surprised they didn't, they didn't, the people, those people didn't know about Matt. Yeah. But, which shocked me because he was like, at that point, had been on more Bigfoot stuff than anybody. And, you know, being the BFRO head and all that. Right. So then, uh, Wally, the guy that was the founder, the funder for the BFRO back then, he was a money guy. He lived right by Matt in Southern California. So they just arranged for it all. Wally, um, had us everyone get together at their house and the discovery talent came out and they invited the 10 finalists for the show. And, uh, we all got together and then got it was months later. They, they picked, well, they picked Matt cliff and myself and then they couldn't find a female forever. It took months and months and months. And Matt was pushing Renee really hard. I only met her once briefly. Sure. And, uh, all the other women we had that were lined up for it, we're off because they're real leery. They're real careful about the women they hire because they do not want to get into a, a potential, oh. you know, mom pregnancy situation. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for like a travel show, you know. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they wanted to get a, a woman that was, you know, already kind of more not like 20 something that might just go off and have a kid. So we had the, the women that were available were, you know, mostly in their mid 20s. We were like in our early 40s and they thought it just looked too creepy having someone that wasn't our own age. <laughs> <laughs> so they finally settled on, after months, they finally settled on Renee. Oh, okay. Well, that was kind of, you know, that's kind of cool though, because she added uh, quite an interesting dynamic to the show. Most of the time I was yelling at the TV, like, what are you talking about, Renee? That's definitely a squatch. <laughs> We were doing the same thing. <laughs> were you really? <laughs> yeah. It was like, sometimes it was just like, she was so contrary, even, even when it didn't seem like there was, I mean, she would just fabricate sometimes like, oh my God, what, what are you seeing? Uh, but you know. I know, dude. Yeah. She was in a tough, <laughs> it was when she, those other fabrications, that's what would really make me mad. And she would never admit she was wrong. <laughs> you know? I, I'm a married man. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, in her defense, I mean, she showed up every day for work for like eight and a half years yeah. and put up with put up with us <laughs> the whole time. And, but her job was to represent the viewers at home. Cause when the show started, 70% of our audience didn't believe in Bigfoot. They just watched it cause they liked the cast and the travel aspects of it. It was like a travel show to them. Right. Right. And, and uh, by the time when the show ended, it was like high 60 something percent of the people that watched it believe Bigfoot was real. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean by you guys definitely created the ability to have this discussion. I mean, you know, it just, it didn't, I mean, obviously there was people that were into this prior to that, but I think it was still kind of relegated to, you know, just whispering among friends. You didn't want to say it too loud because then you'd be that guy or something. But as soon as your, your guys' show came out, it was like, suddenly it kind of became cool. And, and people really did start having the discussions like, Hey, I saw this on TV. What did you think of that? And, uh, and it would, it would be this, this, you know, this dialogue that just started taking form and shape and, and it became part of our social consciousness. And I think that's largely due to what you guys did. Yeah, it was definitely part of it. Um, for sure. It was like the impetus. Cause we did, it was crazy as you hear about like Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul and these other Republican members of Congress would have the Bigfoot Monday morning breakfast club and they discuss <laughs> finding Bigfoot and the witnesses they saw on the show. <laughs> Cause uh, Mitch McConnell's a two time Bigfoot witness and Rand Paul's a one time witness. Oh, wow. that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. They won't go public with it. Well, you can hardly blame them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, they're the lowest. I think those guys are around 10% approval rating. So it couldn't, couldn't hurt. I'm thinking like, <laughs> God, you know, It'll, uh, it's, it's, it can only help at this point. Who doesn't <laughs> want to be seen with Bigfoot? <laughs> I think you're right. I think actually that could help their numbers. Okay, everybody. I think it's time we got to take a break. So don't go away and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. Hey guys, Brent Thomas here of the Paranormal Portal Podcast. We just wanted to take a moment to introduce you to the Paranormal Portal store. We've got t-shirts, hoodies, leggings, stickers, mugs, you name it, you might find it over there. So head on over to teespring.com slash stores slash paranormal dash portal and you too can help fund the Paranormal Portal Podcast. Thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for being a part of our Paranormal Portal family. everybody and we're back and we're back at it here on the paranormal portal podcast buckle up we're going in looking at the bigfoot community and in, in you know in our country especially but around the world i mean people are just really i mean this is the most involved community of all the paranormal that i've been experiencing in doing the shows it's like we do we do ghost shows, you know, we get some, you know, some, some participation and stuff. We do UFO shows, get some participation. But when we do Bigfoot shows, man, people are coming out of the woodwork. It's like, wow, this is, it's really been an eye opener for me because, you know, I, I love all of it, but I, I just am always fascinated with how, how, um, dedicated the Bigfoot audiences are. Like they, they will look and find shows because they want to know, they want to learn. They're just this ravenous, hungry for more information. Yeah, I think. Oh, I know. I know that Ghost is way more popular. Yeah. Um, just you can look at all the shows that were made. How many of there have been, and yeah, their comp the size of their conferences versus the size of our conferences. But yeah, I mean, just since our show came out, the Bigfoot conferences have swelled. I mean, there's way more of them, and they're way bigger. Because prior to that, if you went to a Bigfoot conference, there was 300 people there. It was like a big deal. There's only a couple in the country that did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Ohio and yeah. Um, Really, Ohio and Texas were the only two that did more than like 200. Wow. Yeah. Because now they do th- thousands. Now, now there's like every, every, every town almost has a Bigfoot conference. But I think, yeah. I think it is growing. I think it is growing even to almost challenge the ghost thing because, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen that much reaction for our shows. Now, uh, you know, we, when we first started doing the show, we fell in, you know, by the grace of, of you know, people like Wes Germer came on and, and was a big part of it. Uh, we had uh, Bear come on and he was on our show several times. And, and, uh, that that really helped to establish us, I think, with the Bigfoot community. But I have Bear Gorillas? No, uh uh Jim Bear King, the Bigfoot Outlaw. 
Jim King. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he's he's been on here a few times and and a great guy. I love talking to him. But uh, you know, those things really I think maybe gave us some street cred right off the bat. But uh, I, I do love how, how interested in the, the Bigfoot community is for this information. We had a question in our chat, uh, Bobo. What was the favorite place that you guys ever, ever filmed shows at? Was there one location that really stood out for you? Uh, well, there's kind of a couple of factors. That there's like, what, where was there great squashing? Like, what was the best place we went? Because it was just so rad that we were getting Bigfoot action or... There's the overall experience of being like just in an awesome place. I mean, like Nepal and the Himalayas was insanely beautiful and just a just such a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, to go yeah fly up into the Himalayas and go to Pengboche and those those kind of places. I mean, so it's hard to say. It's hard to say. We loved everywhere we went. We could say internationally, the the least fun was Indonesia, just because it was so rugged and rough and yeah terrible food and all that kind of stuff but it was still rad i mean way stoked i mean i liked it more than everyone else um but we all agreed the only place we just really had a lame time was kansas <laughs> flatland <laughs> but it was it was like that arctic vortex it was like january oh you know it never got above 20 degrees the wind never dropped below 20 miles an hour from the north there was just it's just real thin trying to find any squatch action in that place, especially that time of the year. Uh-huh. So it was kind of a waste of time the whole time we were there. And we just froze the whole time. Man. But the people were cool. That yeah. People in the, in the Midwest, they are the nicest people in the country for sure. What? <laughs> <laughs> we're in the north of Idaho, so Don, <laughs> yeah. Don apparently disagrees, but no. Yeah. I suppose I should introduce oh. you. Don Don, uh, that's, Don is my co-host, Don Longbeard, and I I never did introduce you guys, so sorry about that. <laughs> How you doing, Bobo? <laughs> Good. How you doing, Don? Uh, you know, I just sit back and listen and laugh and interject every now and then, so I'm doing fine. <laughs> Thank you. I don't got to right drive on. the bus. He doesn't have to drive the so, bus. But Northwest Idaho, that's not Midwest, that's the West. <laughs> yeah, we're we're up in the uh just the I think I call it the Pacific Inland Northwest or the something. Inland Pacific Inland Northwest. Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I'm, it's just I just know a lot of Midwesterners apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a Minnesota transplant myself, so I, I think you're right, Bobo. <laughs> oh, Minnesota, yeah, they're way nice people. <laughs> yeah, represent brother. <laughs> Are so, you a T Wolves fan? You know, I, I liked them. I was never much for uh, for basketball, but, you know, I thought it was kind of cool when they, you know, because Minnesota's actually where the Lakers used to be, you know, that yeah. way back in the day. Yeah. And so we lost them, and that was before my time, but I thought it was cool that we got another team, you know, but. I know. Yeah, you're talking about people, like, uh, surprised about people that are into the show. The director of media relations for the T-Wolves is a huge fan, and I'm, I got to be friends with him. I just spoke to him the other day, oh, nice. Jeff Munichy. Uh-huh. That's really cool. Yeah, like the yeah the head the head football coach and the athletic director for University of Minnesota are huge Bigfoot fans too. So like you just hear about like these uh you know it's you hear about different people like that are like oh that guy's like Dave Navarro from oh uh, <laughs> the, the guitar player yeah. like yeah he's a big yeah, he's 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 super into it oh, like you just hear like random reports like that like hey, this guy's a huge fan of yours like like Yoko Ono. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, he just, like he's, yeah. <laughs> oh no! Uh, oh no! It's Yoko. <laughs> no, that's cool. I mean, I suppose, but you know, for the most part, that's probably the only place they would admit it is just through a, a mutual friend. Because for the same reasons, I, I think that's as far as this discussion has come. I don't think people are quite willing to, you know, wear the t-shirts. Not everybody, anyway. Right. You know, or have the bumper stickers. Yeah. But it's getting there. I'm surprised. Yeah, it's way more than it used to. That's like there's. People are w- at least willing to talk about it now, like a, a semi-serious tone, but it's still something you don't want to go admitting if you're worried about your reputation at all. Yeah. Well, it's still kind of akin to fairies and, and dragons and <laughs> things like that in a lot of people's <laughs> minds. But I got to say, there's, there's, I, I don't think there's any arguing when you look at the whole body of evidence. I don't know how anybody that's sane can just discard it and go, well, that's nothing. There's nothing there. You know, I don't understand how people can can discard that because with the hundreds or thousands of of prints and tracks with the hair samples that have been out there, uh, some of the genetic studies, uh, and then anecdotal witnesses, people that have had experiences. I mean, how do you dismiss all of that? It's very, it, you, 
it takes a special kind of stupid, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. But it, I mean, once you once you look, once you get through the looking at the glass and you start going in and looking at all that makes up this field, there are there have been a lot of incredible people dedicating their lives, their blood, sweat, and tears to looking into this phenomenon. They found some amazing things, you know, and and it, it's it's frustrating because. There will always be those people that just, like, no matter what, as long as it's not scientifically endorsed, it's just like there's nothing there. There's nothing there. They like their paradigms, right. you know. But I, right. I I think as soon as people really take a serious look at all of the information and, and uh, information and evidences there are out there, it's got to be something. Um, because, you know, I think about things, Bobo, about, like, you go to a remote, remote place. And I know you've researched all over the world and all over the country. Um but you, I'm sure you've been to some places that may have never even seen human feet before. And then, you you know, just to have a chance encounter with some huge track. You know, I mean, how the hell, who the hell is going to hoax way out there? You know, how how does that make sense to anybody? It does. You're going to find very, very, very few well-informed skeptics of Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. And that's that's the frustrating part, but... Like I said, I think you guys you guys have made some some great inroads to changing a lot of people's minds, and then also making it okay for the people that do believe to have the discussion, as as I was saying before, and that's largely due to what you guys are doing. Now, is there any possibility that finding Bigfoot will ever begin again? I think so. Good. I mean, they've been talking. I think we would have already started if it wasn't for the COVID. Oh, sweet. Oh, it's that because I know. Yeah, because they would. Every once in a while, I get a message saying, "Wow, you guys are killing it!" Like on the on the Go apps, like the streaming on demand yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. We never finished more than top three. We never finished out of the top three for all the shows we've ever had that are available on streaming. Like plus all the new shows that are first run, we beat all of them all the time. So. <laughs> Okay, everybody, I think it's time we got to take a break, so don't go away, and we'll be right back with more of the Paranormal Portal podcast in just a couple minutes. All right, everybody, and we're back, and we're back at it here on the Paranormal Portal podcast. Buckle up, we're going in. So what was what was the location that had the best information or the best experiences for you guys in terms of Bigfoot? Um, internationally, it was definitely Australia. Ah, okay. I think, like Austra- that. I think that's the only place we had action outside of the country, I'm pretty sure. Now, that's the one where you actually heard the, the samurai chatter, right? Yeah, yeah, that was... That was a, that was a crazy one. That it sounds, it just sounds fake. Like I mean, to hear the story, how it all came about, and how, just the, the chain of events that led to that night. But I guess this is a two-hour show, right? We got all kinds of time, brother. Keep we got going. all the time you need. Keep going. <laughs> well, I was uh, actually I was over in Hawaii at uh, on Oahu. I used to go there every year for the winter time go surf and hang out with my friends and stuff and watch the contest. I don't know if you guys ever heard of the pipe pipeline masters. Yeah. Oh, the surfing contest. The bon- yeah. The bon- yeah. Bonsai pipeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, the, it's the greatest show on earth. It, it's awesome. I mean, you're, it breaks right on shore, really close to shore. It's, you know, it can kill you. It can kill you. It's a gnarly wave. And you're just sitting there like, it's like sitting in the owner's box at the 50 yard line at the Super Bowl. You're just, <laughs> Right, there's not a bad seat in the house. You're just sitting there watching these guys get the craziest waves, and mm-hmm. you know there's bikini models on the beach. You know, it's, it's just a full scene. <laughs> wow. Sure. And uh, I was at this. I used to um, get hooked up through Volcom. They're a clothing brand, like uh, action sports stuff, right. and like Quicksilver, Billabong, all the all the big uh, brands. Hurley. They all got their. They all they all own houses right at Pipeline, and like the company house and they had like the team riders and stuff there and they're, they're you know it's like just big parties mm-hmm. so i'd go i'd sit at the volcom house and this guy makua rothman <clears throat> who's a really well-known big wave surfer local hawaiian kid and 
he showed up with this guy and to get in the Volcom house is kind of, it's pretty much a VIP affair. Like you're not just getting in and he brought this big Samoan looking guy or something in with him or like Maori or Tongan or something big guy. And he brought him in and they were sitting out there and then Makua left him and it started just one of those, uh, like Hawaiian style rainstorms would just pop up out of nowhere and just dump for like 20 minutes and stop. <laughs> One of those blew through and just, it was kind of cold. It was December, early morning, like seven. Mm. And it, it's cold to get wet. And this guy got just totally dumped on. He was sitting there, he was limping. He had a, looked like he had a broken ankle almost with, with no crutch or anything. And I was like, God, who is this guy? You know, I mean, Makua brought him. He can't just be some scrub, <laughs> but he just was sitting out there in like dirty clothes, freezing in the corner. And I, when I said, what's up, man? I started talking about, I could tell he was hungry and stuff. So I went and bought him a breakfast burrito from the roach coach outside the gate. And uh-huh. he just wolfed it down. I bought him another one. We started talking. And it turned out he was a an aboriginal, but they call them saltwater aboriginals because they they uh, traded so much and bartered with the Maoris that they bred with the Polynesians. Like they're, they don't look like the tr- traditional like inland, mm-hmm. really dark, dark. Um, you know, typical Aboriginal look. What do you think of an Aboriginal? Like that kind of look. These guys look more Polynesian. So I started talking to them. I'm like, no way. I said, you know what? We're thinking about going to Australia for uh, looking for the Yowie. And usually no one knows. Most Australians don't know what a Yowie is. They know it's a candy bar and that's it. Like literally <laughs> literally 90% of the people in Australia had no idea what a Yowie is when we were there. Okay. At least 90%. So this guy knew about him. I'm like, no way. And, and you know, he's telling me like, yeah, and blah, blah. And so I got his contact. He's told me his brothers have seen him a bunch of times. And I, I got his contact information and talked to him a couple of times over the internet, a few times um, saying, yeah, Hey, what's up, man? And then we found out we were going. So I said, Hey, we're coming. He's like, well, maybe we can, you can interview my brothers. And it turned out we were going to be way far, like 10 hours away. We get down there. We were going to film with Rex Gilroy. who's a famous cryptozoologist, like the most famous cryptozoologist in Australia wrote all the books and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he had dementia setting in, and he was kind of losing it. He was just, you know, like in his 80s and dementia and was unusable. And uh, another guy we were working with kind of went kind of nuts and tried to extort the company like a bunch of money to, to produce the witnesses he had lined up, oh. and that fell apart. Wow. So I said, hey, well, I got these buddies up 10 hours, 12 hours north of here in the next state up in Queensland. Uh, I said, let's go. We were down in New South Wales in Sydney. Blue Mountains, and I said, well, let me go check this out. So I flew up there, went uh, found, talked to him and stuff, and that was a whole, that's all, I can't even get into that part of the story, but sure. it was just full serendipity. And I met him, we met him, and it turned out, um, you know, his family was, you know, really cool, totally traditional, um, very, very traditional. Like, these guys didn't wear shoes, they didn't go to, like, regular schools. Mm. Um, they just li- they literally lit up the land like the aboriginals down there made like you know, like we have Native Americans who live on the res like they'll sure. you know hunt their own meat and get their own fish and stuff but they maybe grow some stuff and get some medicinal herbs but you know, they they shop at the store and they you know cook you know they go to fast food they go to restaurants stuff like that. these guys didn't do any of that the only thing they bought at the store was flour mm-hmm. and sugar and a couple like like literally nothing they, they caught and made and just collected all their own food wow and his brother turned out there's a thousand eighty tribes different aboriginal groups in australia wow. and each one of the, what they call what we call a medicine man they call a clever fella yep yep and uh so they have each each one of those thousand eighty <laughs> tribes has their own clever fella mm-hmm. and they what they did uh when they the aboriginals the cultural whatever their, their committee whatever it is their national body they get together and they have like a political arm and then they have the medicine arm, which is the actually more powerful and more respected one. Mm-hmm. So there's a thousand eighty representatives from each of those tribes. They break up into 10 sections. So each section, each one of the 10 sections has 108 clever fellows representing the 108 tribes of that section. Wow. And those 10 guys out of those 108, they elect one guy. So it's kind of like the Cardinals, you know, for the Catholic church. Sure. Yeah. And those, those 10 guys, they're the council of 10. And then there's one that's above them. It's like the Pope, basically, you know, or the Dalai Lama type figure. Okay. And his older his older brother was the guy training to be the next. He'd been 19 years. He started when he was 17. He was 36. And he'd spent 19 years 
he walked around the continent, circumnavigated the whole continent of Australia two and a half times already, wow. learning from the from the, all the top clever fellows around the, around the country, and um, also how to how to live and hunt and to gather whatever foods are in every part of the on the whole continent. They knew how to hunt out in the bush, up in the mountains, uh, diving, um, e- everything. But he also learned remote viewing and like uh, tele- telepath. Well, you had to have this stuff in you innately. Sure. You know, they'd, they'd pick you. They'd pick you. You got chosen when you were a kid, and they trained you until the guy died. Then you you take over. So I mean, I saw. I mean, I'm not shooting you, man. I was sitting there watching. We we're hanging out, and we were. Just chilling in the we we went surfing in the morning and we came back in. We're just chilling at the pad and this little bird flies in the door and lands on the windowsill next to the, the brother that's the you know training to be the tech top dog. And he he looks at it and nods his head and he looks at the kids and goes get ready. And the whole the, there's several houses the family lives together and it's on a Aboriginal reserve right on the ocean. And they all gather up real quick and they gather these nets. And they go out in the water and he goes, yep. And the bird, there's a um, seagull flies over and he nods at it and talks to it a little bit. He said, yeah, they're coming from the north. And sure enough, you see the water splashing. And he goes, all right, get in position. The kids get out in the water with the net. And a pod of dolphins is driving a huge school of fish down along the coast. And they herd them into this, like they make like a U-shape of the net along the beach. Uh And the dolphins herd in the fish and feed and feed then, then the dolphins get out of the way and they close the net and drag it up on the beach and they have all their fish there but i mean this guy would talk to talk to animal like um they like to eat guanas you know like monitor lizards sure and there was like a five foot one up the tree and he points at it he does like uh remember the old crocodile dundee where he hypnotizes <laughs> the bull yeah 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 like that's real those guys do that he he did that to the Go on, and it crawled down the tree, walked right up in front of him, and put its head down. And he just bat- he carried a club and bashed it over the head. Wow. We just cooked it. Oh my god! Like, yeah, he could like he could remote view. Oh, that's the other thing is that he'd get calls. Well, he didn't carry a phone, but his brother would get calls. Uh-huh. He'd be like, he'd talk to his brother, and he'd say, "So and so is going on walkabout for dream time up in uh, Northern Territories." Uh, he wants to know if he walks out to such and such falls. Is this is the creek spring? Is that dry this year? Because they're having terrible droughts. Mm. And he he would close his eyes for about thirty seconds, and he'd go see if there's water or not. And he looked. He could look anywhere on the continent, anywhere in the world, really. But sure. he would just look for the Aboriginals doing uh, dreamtime walks and the walkabouts. He would um, guide them where to go for water. Like, and he was a hundred percent on. And wow. I, mean, I was around him for a couple of weeks and just saw. Yeah, and uh, he's the one that talked to the. He was talking to the Yowies about um, if we could see him or not or film him. Mm-hmm. And he put he took me out to a spot where I heard him. I didn't see him, but I heard him mm-hmm. in daylight. Uh, this pretty crazy place had a crop of waterfall, like the side of a waterfall, and <laughs> it was way. It was pretty. It was pretty out there. It was a pretty deep spot. And these guys, it was crazy thing was these guys were fearless around like great white sharks, tiger sharks, blah, blah, um, big, you know, gnarly people have some big gnarly dogs down there, like Rottweiler stuff. And they're not afraid of anything, but when they heard the, when they heard, they weren't even so much afraid of the Yowies as the Brown Jacks, the little ones, little three to four foot tall ones, five foot tall ones. Okay. They were scared to death of those ones. Really? Yeah. And it sounds like we were wondering, we were wondering if maybe, they could some of them. Well, we think there was two things they called brown jacks. Possibly, one could be the Homo floresiensis, like the Hobbit people oh, from sure. the Isle of Flores that they discovered a couple of years ago. Yeah, in Indonesia, yeah. Yeah, they think those might still be alive. Actually, like Dr. Mm-hmm. Meldrum's looked into that. There's reports of basically describing those things from uh, northern, the north uh, of Australia, and also up in the islands up and through there where they were discovered. There, they they still get reports of those things, and then there's also something that seems to be like a. They're not the same thing as a yai, which is just a Bigfoot, mm-hmm. but they're similar and smaller and way more aggressive and, like, kind of crazy. Wow. Kind of like the Albata witches here, or, you know, what people call, I, I don't know if that's the right name, but they've, they're they supposedly, well, it could be a Pukwudgie, too, uh, kind of thing. Are you familiar with those? Uh, up in Alaska? Yeah. Well, actually, they're supposed to be all over, uh, as far as we understand it, but... Uh, 
uh, you know, you wonder, because they're apparently supposed to be really nasty bastards too. (laughs) So I don't know what it is. They got the small man complex going on in (laughs) these little cryptids. But, uh, you know, I was, when you were talking about the the Homo Florensis, the the Hobbit people, I I was instantly thinking about... That video uh, that came out of Indonesia, those guys riding motorcycles mm-hmm. through the through the, the jungle area. And and have you seen that one, Bobo? Yeah, we were down there right after that was taken. Oof. And that's actually a tribe of humans, of little pygmy humans that lived down there. And um, our guides were familiar, knew some of them, actually personally knew some of the people from that tribe. I said, yeah, it's just. They're, norm- they're human beings. They're just small. Mm. Okay. So are they, are they considered... Um, acknowledged, or are they more of a supernatural? Not supernatural in in meaning that they have special powers, but you know, when we think of like um, gnomes, uh, there's many cultures that believe that those are you know another form of human, but they're different. Um, there's there's other things like that. So, are these considered more of a, a paranormal type of human, or are they a normal human? No, they're they're like. They're like the uh, pygmies from the Kalahari or something. You know, they're okay. just adults are like four to five feet tall. Huh. Yeah, whatever this one was. It looked like it was about three feet tall, but I guess it could be more of a juvenile thing. But, right. man, I was thinking, is that a, is that a, uh, one of the Hobbit people? You know, they said, they said it was basically kind of like one of their uncontacted tribes, but oh. they're contacted. They're just. Okay. Okay. They just stay out in the bush. Well, I can't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smart. <laughs> so it was it was through that that you had the the experience with the the samurai chatter. Oh yeah, well he I asked him. I said, uh, he was. I, I believe he was. He was in contact with these things, and he mm-hmm. was saying, um, he was trying to talk about showing themselves so we could film because they were saying these things are constantly complaining about people tearing up their environment, tearing up their their uh, homes. Oh yeah, because mining mining's out of control down in Australia. Oh sure, it's it's, it's huge. I think it's fit, almost fifty, nearly fifty percent of all the world's deposits ne- needed for computers and cell phones comes out of Australia. Oh really? Oh that's yeah, cool. like all those little weird metals and minerals. Okay, well, I guess that doesn't surprise me. So he was talking to him supposedly, you know, through telepathy, saying. You know, like they said, no, we can't show ourselves. It's the end of it's the end of the world, which is weird. Which is um, powerful medicine men I've known and women out here on the West Coast have said the same thing when they talked with Sasquatch. They said uh, it's like it's like the Book of Revelations will be fulfilled if they come out. Like they, that's how the which was interesting hearing totally unrelated Aboriginals in Australia saying the same things as Canadian and and. Uh, U.S. Native Americans yeah. have have said it was interesting. They said no. Then I said, "Well, can we at least hear them? Can they could at least hear them talk?" And he said, "Yeah, they can do that." But and the next day after that all happened, where I didn't we heard it but didn't record it, he talked to them again, and, and they said, "He said hear us talk." He didn't say record them talk. <laughs> oh, you got to be more specific. <laughs> yeah, you got to be real. You know, it's funny. It's people that um. These are I, I I don't buy most of these people that say they're telepathic, you know, having telepathic conversations with Bigfoot. I think almost almost all of them are full of full of it to a large degree. Yeah. But the ones that are the ones that are real seem to like I always say like when you make requests of the Sasquatch, it's kinda like a like a wordplay game to them or something. Like they're like Tom Powell when they were asking he's working on a project in Oregon back like late 90s early 2000s he uh was saying well can, he was telling the, the the medium saying can you can you get us a bone you know bring us bring us a bone because they wouldn't he wanted proof like can you bring mm-hmm. you know part of a dead one so they dropped off a bone but it was the breastplate of like a emu oh hmm. oh like a you know a large domestic yeah. emu yep and, and it came from there was a farm a couple miles away an emu farm but then when the, when the second contacted the the Sasquatches that were supposed to have done that, they said, "You said a bone. You didn't say a Sasquatch bone. You just said a bone. That was a cool looking bone." <laughs> That's so funny! Wow, 
I, you know, I, I, I have an open mind for that. Uh, I, I don't not necessarily understand it, but I do think, I think telepathy exists not only, you know, between people, but, but interspecies. I think that it must. And I, I think that dogs might be a great example of that because, you know, the way that they can cue right into the energy of the person around them. You know, at least it, at least it's, there's like some kind of serious empathy going on with nature and, and uh, natural uh, animals and such. Like they can sense things and, you know, it's that sixth sense thing. But you, 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 I mean, obviously you must have heard about things like the mind speak. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Uh, do you have, have you had any experiences of that yourself? Yeah. And I'm totally down for like the scientific explanations. Like, well, you know, infrasound can cause you to have those like here, like when they've done department of defense, uh, testing with infrasound, mm -hmm. the subjects reported hallucinatory audio hallucinations. Oh, um, he hearing things like voices, messages, a lot of danger stuff. Like get out of here, get out of here, and um, it's could it's like maybe your subconscious warning you. Uh, it could also be a pheromone or just some kind of scent okay. that causes that reaction. Like when we smell it, since we've evolved next to these things, you know, over millennia. Yeah. That when we smell it, our basic genetic makeup is to flee. And maybe uh, your mind's telling you, like, your body's reading this chemical reaction and putting it into words in your own head, which you attribute to the Sasquatch, but it's saying, get the hell out of here, but it can just be your own sure. inner self. Warning. Mm -hmm. So, but I've had a couple experiences, like uh, Tom Powell was mentioning him in his backyard, being Cliff were sleeping back there one night. And he has stuff happening there. Yeah. And we'd, we'd gone around, we did this, he has this six-mile loop around his house and I, where you walk through the forest where he goes down by the river and he goes to these spots. We do a couple of calls. And a lot of times they'll come back to the his place when it's all said and done and creep around the woods and behind the house. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, sorry about that. Oh, shoot. I'm trying to turn off this. Sorry about that noise. I keep getting stuff. I'm not hearing anything, so it didn't come through. The oh, you're not? Oh, okay. It's yeah. coming through on my end. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> um, so, shoot. Oh, so I was back there one night, and about 100 yards uh, to the west, I heard this crack branch break, and I just instantly had this image of Sasquatches breaking the branches. Uh -huh. And then I heard one about 50 yards away, about a, you know, a minute later, another crack, you know, a full on-purpose branch break. Mm -hmm. And, like, I started getting... I was getting real goosebumpy and stuff. And I was trying to wake Cliff up. Cliff sleeps super sound. He <laughs> sleeps or anything. Nice. And uh, I was like, Cliff, 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 get up. And he just kept sleeping real hard. And then <laughs> I just heard this huge crack just directly in front of me, about 40 feet away in the tree line. And it, I just got this loud, clear message saying, we're here. Oof. Wow. Yeah. And it was, it was like loud and clear. And then, my first real, for sure, Bigfoot encounter, like, I knew it wasn't, I mean, it turned out in hindsight, I had, when we were logging, I'd been around him a bunch of times and just didn't know it, because mm -hmm. I didn't know the, the signs all the way. Yeah. And now I look back going, oh, my God, like, we were right there <laughs> with him. But uh, the first time I had my real experience in 2001, where, I, where there was no doubt what it was, um, yeah, I got, uh, I, I got, well, so I had this encounter. I was in a clearing, set up a beach chair, chilling out. It was like late May, warm summer night, 70 degrees, mm -hmm. and had this crazy encounter. This huge male Sasquatch came into the tree line around the edge of the meadow. I was sitting in and just tearing down trees and roaring and stomping and making the crazy, by far the craziest sounds I've ever heard. If it would have been recorded, it would have been, it wasn't as uh, expressive as the, like, like the vocal, like the, so to speak, talk that you hear in the Sierra sounds. Sure. It was uh, a lot of more just roaring and Yikes. Uh, big giant exhales and lip flaps and um, growls and grunts and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I, at one point, well, I had a night, it was the first time I had a real night vision with me. It was a Gen 2, early 90s Ukrainian. Uh, Gen 2 night scope, mm -hmm. uh, passive, you know, didn't have any uh, thermal, it was just night scope. Okay. And I had that thing and I was messing with it. It was the first one I ever took it out. And it had uh, four dials on the front that were all kind of, they're all the same, but a couple were like focus. One was, I don't know, I don't even know what it was. It was all written in like 
Ukrainian writing. Uh-huh. But uh, one was a battery cap cover, and I was messing with it, and I was like, why is my – and it was just the battery was dying. And I unscrewed the battery lid too far because I didn't know what, what it was. And when the, it just went dead, the second it went dead, there was this huge cry, like a screaming yell cry. Mm-hmm. And then it, within a second of that, I got just bluff charged. Well, I didn't know it was a bluff. I thought it was a real charge. Two or three – I think it was three. For sure there was two came charging out of the tree line across me in the meadow and ran into this little stick stand of trees I was sitting against. Um, it was like a, if you're driving down this uh, dirt logging road on your right hand side, it was like a crescent shaped half moon meadow. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the middle of it, not the middle of the meadow, but the middle of like the half circle, which ran along the road, there was a stand of trees about 60 feet wide and 30 feet thick. And I was sitting on the uh, the edge of that, facing the meadow, and these things ran behind me. And I thought, "Well, God, they must have just kept going. I don't hear them now." And I was pretty freaked out because, like, they just—I mean—they shook the ground. I mean, it was, and they were so fast, and they sounded so giant. Ugh. And I mean, I'd already heard them snapping trees and stuff, so I knew they were big. And I was antagonizing them, growling, beating my chest, and all that stuff. <laughs> and. Wow. Uh, yeah, not too smart. And <laughs> I started hearing rustling in the tree line right behind me. And I was sitting in the chair, and I'm like, oh, my God, that's him. Well, at first I thought it was just a mouse or like a wood. I thought it was a wood rat gathering like nest material at first. And it was so subtle. And then I started getting like – I started realizing it's it's the big one. It's right behind me. I could, and I started hearing like this deep breathing coming from up high. Oh God! Like really high, like higher than the roof, and I was like, "Oh my!" And it's right behind, like within five feet of me, behind me to my right shoulder. And I'm like, "All right, folks, get it together. Don't don't get it scared now. You know, you got to because I had a this was like in 2001. I had a disposable 35 millimeter camera, a cardboard camera, remember those oh, disposable cameras? Yeah. Yep. And it had a flash, and I flicked the <laughs> flash on. I said, "All right, in 10 seconds, I'm gonna turn around, and snap its picture. It's probably gonna." smack me or kick me or something but i just gotta hold on don't lose the camera uh-huh. so i was trying to go all right bros now you gotta do it don't be a wuss turn around take this picture and right when i started to turn around i just this growl comes low just the deepest grumbly growl growl starts growling and it hit me like a laser beam Uh-oh. and and i was feeling like this uh wave of energy coming out of it and i just got this clearest message in my head it said if you turn around and take my picture I'm going to f and kill you, and no one's ever going to find your body. <laughs> oh my and it was God. just loud and clear, like just. I mean, it wasn't like an audible, like a, right. it wasn't like in the air, but in my head, it was just the loudest, clearest message I ever got. Wow. Oh God. Yeah, that'd be horrible. But that it could have been pheromone induced, you know. I mean, sure, or sure. Just me being so nervous. Like once that growl started, I could have imagined all like my brain filled in all those words i mean i don't know or or it could have been telepathy i'm not sure well you know i mean either way uh obviously the message would have been loud and clear no matter which way you got it because i think if something really big is behind you growling the last thing you want to do is provoke it i mean regardless of what it is if it's a bear or whatever you just you don't do anything you just kind of (laughs) freeze and and uh you know so whether the words were actually given to you or whether they're passed on just through the growl and and a reaction and a genetic memory or a pheromone or whatever I think the message is universal on that one. <laughs> Just don't screw with it. You know, I've had the same feeling with great white sharks yeah. when I was diving or surfing. I've had several run-ins with them. Oh. And I never got like a message from them. I mean, like I was definitely like my heart just stops beating for a second and beats 300 beats a minute, you know, because yeah. you're looking at like a school bus with a tail on it swimming around you that <laughs> possibly eat you and you're yeah. – you just feel so. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a knife in your hand, whatever. I mean, these three, four thousand pound sharks just swimming around you. You just, you just, you just. There's nothing you can do that they want to take you. They can take you just like that. There's not a damn thing you can do. Same thing with the Bigfoot. Same kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the one experience that I've had was very much like that. Just the growling part. Uh, we, my, my, I'll just paraphrase it quickly because my, my audience has already heard it dozens of times. But um, we were hiking down a friend of mine when I was fourteen. Uh, we're hiking down this ravine, and we got to this spot. This spot, and this is in this is in southern Minnesota. And we stopped on this waterfall, and we're just kind of looking at the rest of the hike down. And uh, all of a sudden, there was like something right behind us, and it was above and behind, exactly like you explained it. 
but it was this deep rumbling growl and it shook my body as much as I heard it. It was shaking me and I was absolutely terrified. Now I wasn't frozen, but I just knew that whatever that was, I didn't want to see it because it was going to kill me. I mean, that was the only thing going through my head and I'm 14 years old. I hadn't, as I was telling you before, I had no, no idea that there was, could be a Bigfoot in my neck of the woods. It was where Leonard Nimoy said it was in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and, uh, right. But apparently Squatch didn't get that memo because I think he <laughs> showed up. And, and you know, I, I mean, at that point it's fight or flight. Well, I knew whatever made that sound was not something I could fight. So we ended up, finally, my friend and I talked, said, what do, what do you think it is? I don't know. We got to get out of here. So we did. And we, and we, we left and uh, terror filled, but we made it down the, down the hill and to, for years and years and years, I carried that around with me, not knowing what the hell could have made that sound. Because where I'm from is only white-tailed deer. That's like the biggest thing, <laughs> you know, and they don't growl. So um, it wasn't until years and years later, uh, probably 15 years ago, when I started learning about Bigfoot a little bit. And I started watching your guys' shows eventually, too. And that all led me to, to start to find out about things that people look for. And once I started to look in that same area as an adult, I was like, well, yeah, there's things here that may indicate very well that that was a Sasquatch. And it was just terrifying, but I never did see it. I never did see it, but I couldn't. Yeah. As far as that infrasound goes, too, that night where it was growling behind me, mm-hmm. that first night I had that first encounter, Yeah. the lower it got, the more intense, the like felt like a laser hitting me coming from it. Yeah. And it actually got to a point where the growl went so low, I couldn't hear it audibly anymore, but it was making my whole body vibrate. My tear ducts were wide open and like, I was hyperventilating. I had tears just like more than you could cry, like just pouring out of my eyes. Wow. And I was shaking uncontrollably and it was like in slow motion. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was super like, and I read about the effects of infrasound. Those were the total effects of infrasound, like headache, dizziness, nauseous, can't breathe. That's tears, incredible. tears. Yeah, it was nuts. Did, it, did you notice that, that that effects persisted past that? Because I've heard some people saying, oh, man, you get zapped with infrasound, that'll screw you up for days. Did you notice that, or was that not the case? Uh, yeah, for three days I had crazy goosebumps, like just uh, big, more than you'd see. Like You have to like jump into like a frozen lake for like 10 minutes and get out. Like that, that was the kind of goosebumps I had for over 72 hours. Wow. Man, that's freaky. I wonder what it does. I mean, how just this vibration can do that, but it must stun something in us, you know, in our brains or something. It causes must cause things to work wrong for a while or something. I think so. I think I think yeah. Infrasound they can use it as a defensive or offensive weapon. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask you this before I do it. I, I should have. I, I was hoping to catch you before the show, but I'm just glad we got everything going today. Um, are are you open to taking phone calls from listeners? Sure. Okay. Hey, all. It's Don with Paranormal Portal. Just wanted to thank you for joining us uh, for the first part of uh, James Bobo Fay in the portal. Uh, just want to let you know we will put up part two uh, in just a day or two, so don't miss that. And of course, it is a three-part series, so don't forget, part three will be out shortly after that. Hope you enjoyed, and we're glad you're here. Have a great day. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us here on tonight's show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Please feel free to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash paranormalportalradio, as well as finding us on Twitter. We're on Twitter at paranormalportal, P-O-R-T-L, and uh, we'd love to have you stop by our YouTube page and subscribe and check out our shows there. we got hundreds of shows in our uh, our, our vault of <laughs> journeys into the Paranormal Portal. So I hope you'll check it, uh, check it out, guys. We're over there at YouTube.com slash Paranormal Portal. So hope to see you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back, of course, for more podcasts in the coming days. So uh, stay tuned. But we love you all. Be good, be kind, be nice. Take care of each other. Help each other out. Find the magic in every day and remember to laugh as much as you can. Take care, everybody.